Luke chapter 15. Let's go there. Luke 15. I'm going to read the the first parable that we have and discuss more in depth. But we're going to go to Luke 15 and verse 1. It says here, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. The Greek word for the story is where we get our English word parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So I want to pause there. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into the rest of the story. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for everyone that's here. No one is here by accident. We, we just come before you now with humble hearts, with open hearts and open minds, God, I pray that um, if someone's on the fence with, the, with Christianity, just in general, God, that you would just allow their hearts to be open, um, that they would make a decision, maybe even tonight, to follow after you. Go before us as we study your word and through this series on your parables, the stories that were to inspire us and provoke us to challenge our faith. Um, God, use it for your glory and for our benefit. So we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's, here's four different categories of all the parables that Jesus taught. Now, Jesus actually taught um, a certain number of parables that were recorded. He may have even taught more parables, but we do have a number of parables that he recorded. You just want to get a guess on how many parables Jesus preached in all the Gospels. Just shout it out. Who thinks how many parables? 700? Okay, that's, all right, that's, a, that's an answer. I'll take two more. I'm just going to tell you, you're really off, but that's a good guess. Yes? 50? Okay. And one more. Yes. 64. Okay. You're all off. It was only about 30. That's it. So 700. Oh, man, I would have been like, stop telling us stories, Jesus. Um, 30 parables, roughly, that Jesus has recorded in the Gospels for us. And the four categories that he has have to do with these four things. The good news, so the gospel, he talks about different parables about preaching the good news. He talks about the life of faith. That's the majority of his parables is right there, the life of faith, how to walk this life in faith um, through parables and stories. The next one is the kingdom of heaven. You guys have heard of that phrase where he tells us like the kingdom of heaven is like, so he's going to describe heaven, the millennial kingdom. Uh, so those are interesting stories. And then he talks about judgment and the future. So he will use actually deeper, heavier parables that have to do with God's wrath and the future of the end of the world. So those four categories pretty much summarize all of Jesus' stories and messages in the gospels that are recorded. But the one we're going to look at today is what I just read. It's from Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We just read the first section. It was the parable of the lost sheep. If you keep looking down in your Bibles, if you don't have your Bible, go back and do your homework on this. There's the parable of the lost coin, 
And there's also the parable of the lost son or what we've kind of Christianized as the prodigal son. Who has heard of the story of the prodigal son? Okay, so Jesus is going to tie in all of these different categories into that summary. So we're going to talk about a sheep, a coin, and a son. You ready for this? All right. You're going to try to figure out what's the common denominator that Jesus is trying to paint the picture of between these three. And just on, on paper, on the surface, sheep, a coin, and son have nothing in common at all. All right. Sheep are dumb. Coin is not living. And a son is just a son who's gross. All right. Boys are gross. Um, amen, sister. Amen. Amen, boys. We're gross. Okay. Guys are are nasty. Um, Anyway, and like brush your teeth, please. Every time I, seriously, anyway, I'm going off subject. A sheep, a coin, and a son. We're going to find a common denominator on this. So let's look at verse eight. We've just read the lost sheep. I'm going to come back to that. Let's read the next parable. Has to do with this lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So there's kind of the summary where he's going with, and then he's going to move on to the parable of the lost son. I want to read the majority of this, so follow along. And then we're going to dissect it. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, sorry, I flipped the page. I want my share of your estate now before you die. How would you like that? If like, you know, you guys are thinking of it because you're not parents yet. But if once you become a parent and if your kid were to say this, you're basically saying, I want your money now because I can't wait till you die. That's what he's saying. Um, And the father agrees. All right. I'm half dead. Take it. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That's key. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, that's a, that's a key verse. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'm going to go home to my father. And say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as one of your hired servants. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you of both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then it says, so the party began. This prodigal son story is so interesting. And you have to remember, there's two sons. I'm going to finish the parable later as we 
as we close in, in our discussion of the parables. But there's the second son. And if you know the story, you know where I'm going to go with it. But the first son, who's the younger one, asks his father, basically demands him, give me your money now. I can't wait till you die. I want to go spend it and use it how I want. So he says, okay, equally gives his younger son and the older son a same amount of money. The, the older son stays back and works for his dad. He, he's wise with his money. He saves. The younger son goes and spends it, and it says on wild living. He's partying up. He's sitting in all the casinos. He's doing everything he wants with this money. Says the, in the parable, it's going to say that he's sleeping around. He just is doing what he's doing. All right, this is Las Vegas in Jesus' time. And he's going on and partying. But then there's a verse where it says he came to his senses because then he realized he, he lost all his money. He wasted it. And the living that he was actually living wasn't really living. <laughs> he wasn't living to his potential the way God had for him. And he realizes, I, I got to get out of this situation. I'm going to go back home. But I know for a doubt my father's not going to accept me. But I'm going to go in with an open mind and tell him, hey, I'm sorry, Dad. I've sinned. Please take me on as a servant. I, I'm not even worthy to be your, your son. But we see the opposite of what the dad does. Now flip back to the actual parable where we started with, the pair of the lost sheep. The pair of the lost sheep, Jesus is painting a picture, but the context is actually before Jesus begins his story. If you look at the context, it's verses 1 through 2. It says here that tax collectors and other sinners came to listen to Jesus. Tax collectors were hated amongst the Jewish people. They hated the tax collectors. Why? Because they partnered with the Romans to collect taxes. They basically were traitors. And then if you were a Roman tax collector, they, the Jewish people hated Rome. That was the empire that was dominating the world at that time. So you have tax collectors, and then it says other sinners went to go hang out with Jesus. And Jesus actually went and ate with them. And then it says another group, the Pharisees. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the law complain that he was hanging out with such people. How could Jesus do that? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he hang out with the, the people that are the lowest of the low and the people that are traitors? Why would he hang out with them? And then Jesus, to illustrate the point that he was hanging and why he was hanging out with these people, he gives them three parables. And the parables right here are about a sheep, a coin, and a son. Now, here is the question that I asked at the beginning. What do they have in common in these stories? What do they have in common in these stories? Does anybody want to give a, just a shout-out? What did you see as a common theme for these three stories? Yeah. Repenting. Repenting. Yep. That's up there. Anybody else? Yeah. They're lost. That's another one. There's one more I'm thinking of. That's, oh, that's interesting. I never, I didn't even do that. You're smarter than me. Yeah. I didn't put that on. I like that. That's one of them. I'm still thinking of another interesting commonality that they have. Yeah. Someone, uh, not, not quite. That's true though. Yes. Someone showed what? Mercy. No, not thinking of that. There's, There's something else I'm thinking of. Yes. Someone lost them. Nope. Not quite. Yep. No, you guys are thinking of the different... Don't think of someone outside. What do these three have in common 
amongst just the three of them. Yes. That's it. They're all valuable. Amen. That's actually the first one that I have on the screen. The first one of what they have in common is there are things of value that go missing. A lot of you said that. The other one was there's also great joy once they return. Did you notice that? There was great joy with the shepherd when he found the sheep. There was great joy with the woman that found the lost coin. There was great joy with the father that found his lost son. And then the other one was, you guys said it, repentance. But there was the interesting thing. I put a greater sign. Repentance is greater than religion. Because that's who the teachers of the law were all about. So these parables are actually for you and me, but they weren't to you and me. Does that make sense? They were actually not to us. They are for us. But the real people that they were to, that Jesus was preaching, was to the Pharisees. It was to them. Why? Because they missed it. They were all about religion and not repentance. And all of these was basically a smack in the face of the Pharisees. Jesus really had a hard time with the Pharisees. That's the only people group he really rebuked. He called them snakes. Like, you guys are are just wicked, corrupt, and you're leading people astray because you're all about religion, but not about a change of heart and repentance. And that's why Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners because they got it. They were repenting. And Jesus hung out with them. He associated himself with them because he is all about seeking those that are lost. But that, the first thing was the things that they have in common with are of value. Uh, you know, we may not think of a sheep right now as something that's valuable, right? I actually want to eat sheep. I love lamb chops. Anybody else hear me? Lamb is really good. So I don't think a sheep as like a valuable commodity, but in that time it was. If you, had a sh- if you were a shepherd, and, and basically you would have sheep of a hundred, and the story is there's a hundred sheep, one goes missing, normally you wouldn't go after that one sheep. Why? You would kind of just let them go. They're either going to die from a wolf or they're going to die from a cliff, and you need to protect your 99, Right? That's the logical answer. Why would you leave your 99 that might wander off without you just for one sheep? That's the point Jesus was making. The picture is it's of you and me that don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Jesus is walking with us, and we being sheep in the Bible because we're dumb, we wander off. One goes and wanders off. Jesus goes after that one. He goes after you. Maybe you're that one that leaves and wanders off He leaves the ones that are saved or righteous, he says, and he goes after that one that doesn't know any better. And he says there's great rejoicing in heaven over one person that repents. So the story wasn't really about sheep. He was illustrating and making a point. And then he goes to the coin. A coin was valuable, and this woman has ten coins. All right, if you lose one, you still have nine, right? That's still 90% of your income. But yet she looked high and low for this one coin. All right? And you, got to, you have to think of it in terms as, uh, you know, we don't really think of if I lose a dime, I'm not really going to go searching high and low for it, right? Maybe some of you would, all right? Go in your couch and you'll find whatever. You, you, you'll find a lot of interesting things in between the cracks of your couch, like Lucky Charms and old hair and Twizzlers and nail clips and, and like, stuff you just are like, that's disgusting, but kids think are, they're so great to eat. Anyway, um, like one time, isn't it great when you find like a $20 bill 
Like, nice. This was my dad's. I'm keeping it, though. All right. Great things to find in the couch. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but she goes and searches high and low for this one coin because it's valuable. That's the point Jesus is making. And then he, he paints the picture again. He says, rejoice, because in the same way, there's, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Did you know that? When one person comes to faith in Jesus, and I don't know the statistic on that, like how many people are getting saved per second? I don't know that answer. There may be, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to say it. But there, every person that gets saved and repents, there's a party going on in heaven. The angels are celebrating. I don't know how angels party, but God approves of it. They're, they're just partying for Jesus. And they're so happy that this one person gets saved that the angels are rejoicing. It's valuable. And the last but not least, a sheep and a coin, you know, have value. But a person, a son, a daughter is priceless. And so Jesus saves the best for last. And he talks about this son that chooses to leave. Did you notice that? A sheep didn't really know what it's doing. It's wandering off. A coin has no idea what it's doing. It's not alive. A son, though, a person has a will. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he left. He said, I'm done with you, Dad, and I'd like to take your money, and I'm going to go. Now, in the story, I'm going to paint the picture of what Jesus actually says. He, he kind of describes what he's trying to say. The father in that story is a picture of God. So you have actually God, and then the younger son that wants to leave with his dad's money are the tax collectors and the sinners that don't really understand. But then they come back, and the Father, God, has great compassion for them. But the older son, if you can come with me now and go to verse 25. If you're still there in chapter 15, look at verse 25. I'm going to finish this parable, and then we'll close. So here's the other perspective of the older son. And this older son is a picture of the Pharisee. It says right here in verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home and he heard the music and dancing in the house, he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all the time that you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I thought that was a pretty funny verse. In all these years, you never gave me a goat. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> just say that to your parents and be like, what? What is wrong with you? <laughs> I dare you to do that. In all these years, I've served under you. You never gave me a goat. Yet when this son of yours comes back, he doesn't even call him his brother. He says, yeah, this other son of yours. When he comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. Basically saying you are celebrating so much for this son of yours, his brother. When he goes and squanders his money and uses it and wastes it, you come back and celebrate when I've been here the whole time? Keep reading. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The Pharisees, if they're listening, and if they're listening intently, they would have understood who Jesus was referring to. Again, you have Father as God, 
You have the younger brother who squanders his wealth but comes back as the tax collectors and sinners who Jesus accepts because he comes back. They return. It's a, it's a word, repentance. They repented. And Jesus is now associating with them. Because, hey, I want to I walk with you. I, wanna, I want you to learn from me. I love you. But the Pharisees are saying, hey, Jesus, we've, we've know you. We follow you. We've been following the, the, the law of Moses for years now. We've never strayed away from you. But they never got it. Why? Because they were all about religious acts and never the heart. It was never a repentive heart. That's why repentance is always better than religion. Always. So if you think Cornerstone or even just yourself coming here are religious, then you've got the wrong, got the wrong uh, church and, and, and notion of what it's all about to be in a relationship with Jesus. It isn't about a religion. So Jesus is painting this picture of a sheep, a coin, a son. What do they have in common? They're valuable to Jesus. And he says, I want them back. I want them to repent. And there's going to be great rejoicing when they do. I want to close with this verse. It's actually just a couple chapters later that Jesus will say this in Luke 19, verse 10. It's on the screen. Luke 19, 10. Jesus says of himself, for the Son of Man, that was a term that he would use of himself, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Now the question is, if you don't know your Bibles or you don't know Jesus, you may be asking, well, who's, who's lost? What do I mean? What is Jesus talking about lost people? He means basically those who are saved that know Jesus and those that are lost that don't know him. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came to the earth. So I hope this parable is not just some 2,000-year-old illustration or fable that Jesus gives, but that it speaks to you to the heart that Jesus came to seek and save you, me, who once was lost. The Father says here, your brother was dead spiritually, and now he's alive. We have to celebrate this because he was lost spiritually and now is found. And I want to close with this. I just want to challenge you guys. You know, I hope all of you are walking with Jesus, and I, and I, I never want to assume that you're, you're not. But I bet, if I had to have a show of hands, that you have a, a friend, a relative, or a loved one that doesn't know Jesus. If you have that, maybe raise your hand right now. Let's just all be real with each other. If you have a loved one, a friend, or a relative that doesn't know Jesus, meaning that they're lost, you can put your hand up. Most everyone's hand is, is raised. We all have that. I have family members as well that think they know Jesus, but they really don't. Now, if you are in a relationship with Jesus and you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior because you once was, were lost and now you're found, now you know how to talk to that friend that you have that relative that you have, that loved one that you know on what it means that, to be lost. And there's so many people right now, especially in the church, that think they're saved, but they're really lost. They don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They're, they're biblically illiterate. They don't even know what the Bible says about Jesus. Maybe they've heard of him, but they don't know him. We all know that phrase, right? You may know of someone, but you don't really know them. That's a lot of people when it's in terms of Jesus. I know Jesus of him. I've heard of him, but I don't really know him. Well, guess what? He knows you, but he gives you a choice. He's given us a will to choose to follow and get to know him as well. 
I want to leave you with that and just, just remember that Jesus came to seek and save those that are lost and that the parables that we just looked at is good news. That's the first subject that we looked at of those four, the good news. Next time, we're going to look at the other subject of the four categories. If I can go back. There it is. The good news, the life of faith, the kingdom of heaven, judgment in the future. All of these, Jesus would use stories. So the good news that Jesus says is, you once were lost, but you can become found in me. You can become found in Jesus. I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. We're going to stop right now and pray and just hang out. But I just want you to be real with Jesus. Everyone's going to be held accountable on that one day that we're all going to have to face judgment and Jesus says in his, in his word that all of us are going to be held accountable. So when I go and see Jesus, I want to be found right before him. That's what righteousness is all about. I want to be found right before Jesus. And I can say firmly that I once was lost, but now I am found. I'm found in Jesus, and I know that I'm going to heaven. I know without a shadow of doubt I'm going to heaven. But maybe some of you don't know that. Maybe some of you don't even realize that you are that lost coin. You're that lost sheep that Jesus goes after. You're that lost son or daughter that chooses to willfully leave. And God is always waiting with arms wide open. If you caught that in the story, the father ran to his son with arms wide open and received him. He didn't judge him. He didn't question him. He didn't condemn him. He didn't say, what a terrible sinner I've raised. He said, my son has come back. My daughter has come back. And maybe I'm speaking about you. So I want all heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Let's go before the Lord right now and understand that we're all lost. We're all lost without Jesus. Every single person is lost without Jesus. But you can have the hope and assurance that you can be found in him and your identity can be found in Jesus, not in anybody else except him and him alone. So, Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. With all heads bowed, eyes closed, this is our one-on-one moment with you, Lord, and how we can relate to these parables that you've told 2,000 years ago, but they still speak truth today. The commonality of a sheep, a coin, and a lost son, they're valuable to you. They were lost, but then they, be, they became found in you. They repented. They didn't try to do acts of religion. It's not about religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's always and has ever been and will continue to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say in your word in John fourteen six that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no person gets to heaven except through you, Jesus. So I pray in your name that if there's someone in here that's lost and they know that they're lost, that they would humbly bow before you and that your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts and that they would know that they can be found in you, Jesus, that their identity can be in you. We don't have to be lost. That's the beauty. The gospel is all about we don't have to be lost. 
You came to seek and save those that are lost. And Lord, if we just believe, if we trust in you, we are found in you. We are saved. And the story of the lost sheep, Lord, it just ministers to my heart, as I hope it does for everyone else, that you are that great shepherd. You're the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to go after just one sheep. You go after that one person. Maybe there's that one person, Lord, that you've been tugging on their heart. You're going after that person. They've been walking away far too long. You've never left them. You've always been right behind them. They just have never wanted to make that 180 turn to come right back to you. So I pray that you would convict our hearts. You would encourage us. You would give us hope. You would give us the assurance that we can have a relationship in the hope of heaven. And God, we look forward to as we study the rest of your parables, that they would speak truth to our lives, even in this generation right now of 2020, that it's, it's truth that we need to hear. So we love you. We praise you. Go before us now as we hang out in fellowship. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.